You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. Our goal is not only to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon with conversations about what we're learning and what God is doing in our lives and in our community. This conversation is inspired by our 2022 sermon series, Digital Babylon, Developing Resilient Faith in Exile. You can find out more about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. Rolling. <clears throat> this week was a fun one, and I was most excited to ask you this one question. We could just end the podcast after this. What are other verses you shouldn't quote in an argument with your wife? Interesting you should ask that, Jeremy. <laughs> because my wife left the service to go to children's church. And so she wasn't even in there when I shared... Um, that little comment, and when I told her, she was less than less than thrilled that I had shared that. She said, so you I got, guess you gotta which stop. verses do you regret quoting yesterday <laughs> afternoon after no, the service? No, 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 no. But a, a couple verses did come to my mind. Just in a, if I were going to abuse the Bible and misuse it in an argument with my wife. Uh, the first one, you know, from uh, that letter of Paul to Timothy, um, verse 212, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. I mean, that should shut down the conversation right there, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Yep. Yep. No or then there's, you know, Ephesians 5.22 that a lot of people have used to support this kind mm. of idea. Um, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And we don't need any more context around that, Scott. I think it speaks for itself. All right, but uh, I think that's a, a gross abuse of scripture. Um, what are the verses after that? The verses after that, the one before it, mm. because it's uh, addressed to everyone, and it says, submit to one another mm. out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes on to say, wives should submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord, which in their culture would not have been any big deal ask, you know. That was a given. The cultural expectation. Right. That's what every wife did. So Mm -hmm. nothing special about Christian women doing that and submitting to their husbands. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in this same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And and it goes on to say, you know, some more about that. But that was the big ask for a husband to lay himself down, for a husband to um, put aside his wants and wishes, to to do what was best for his wife. That was the big ask in the culture. One of my favorites I've discovered is Proverbs 21.19, which is, it is better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Uh, I should uh, voice record me saying that to Rebecca later and put it on the podcast next week, her reaction. Yeah, that, that, that would be probably more exciting than any conversation we'd have. 
But I mean, I think it, I think it goes flip side. It's it's just horrible to be with quarrelsome and nagging people, people, especially when you're in a partnership and you're trying to work for the same for the same goals and you're working as a team. Is you don't want to be quarrelsome with uh, your covenant partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But going back to the actual point of the sermon, um, I was wondering if you could connect more um, the scripture we opened with Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 2 to 24, um, if you could connect that more with vocational discipleship and tie in Adam's vocation and and all of those things. Sure. Yeah, because we talked a lot about Bezalel and Aholiab at the end of the sermon, right? And mm-hmm. that made like a direct connection between their calling and the work that God had for them. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important for us to remember as we're trying to develop this biblical view of work, all all of that happened. All of that was commanded and given in that Genesis 2 part. That's where God said, like, I'm putting you in the garden to take care of it, to work mm-hmm. for it, to to steward it and care for it. And that was their command for all of creation, right? Was to steward creation. And so as followers of Jesus, that should be a part of our discipleship, not just Mm -hmm. the the environmental side, but the work side. It's, It's not that the work was the curse. I said that yesterday, but it's, it's that the work was part of how we image God. Yeah. And so, if we're going to join God in the work that he's doing in the world, mm-hmm. that's going to involve work on our part. And it's not just in the context of the things we do in the church or as outreach from the church. It's not just the quote unquote spiritual work. Mm. Um, it's in our day-to-day work and how we uh, interact with the people there. It's how we represent God there. It's, you know, for some people they'll say, you know, I've got this opportunity, but that doesn't line up with my Christian values. And so even though I could make money from that, I'm going to say no to it as a testimony. Some Sometimes we have to make those choices yeah. um, because we're called even in our jobs, our vocations. And that's what vocation means calling. Yeah. So so we're called, even in our jobs, to follow Jesus and to bear his image in that. Amen. And those two main scriptures you utilized um, are found in the Old Testament. I was curious if you had any New Testament references uh, that point towards a biblical view of work. That's a good question. The one that came to my mind, first of all, was from the Gospels, is Jesus. And it's when he says, you know, what good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, uh, yet forfeit their soul? Mm. Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? Uh, I think then it goes on to talk about, like, when Christ comes again, when God comes, then each person will be rewarded based on, on what they've done. In that sense, that's less about work, but more about success. You know, we can do, we can work for all these things, mm-hmm. but in the end, if we're sacrificing our soul, if we're sacrificing our Christian faith, if we're sacrificing our families or anything like that, like, what's it really gain us in the end? Yeah. Nothing. Any verses that came to your mind, Jeremy? Uh, the parable of the sower. Yeah. 
what are we planting? What seeds are we planting in this lifetime throughout the week, uh, throughout our daily lives? Are they going to be fruitful and grow, or are we just throwing them on gravel? Um, what are we really putting our, our time and energy into? Is it for the kingdom um, or for things that don't really matter and, and aren't uh, fruitful? That would be the first one that comes to mind. What do you got? Uh, another one that came to my mind was um, there's a ver- verse in Colossians that says, whatever you do, work heartily as mm. as if you're working for the Lord, not for men, knowing that you'll receive from the Lord an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And the idea that the work that we're doing, even if there's somebody else writing the paycheck, mm-hmm. ultimately our master, our boss is yeah. Jesus. So as individuals, how do we find out why we're here we understand, like, we're supposed to be doing things for the kingdoms, but how do we discover our own calling? Um, you had this great uh, quote where you talked about having where our deepest joy meets the world's deepest hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we discover that? Question of the ages. How, how do we find out why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing? Um, and I think... It starts with, what are the things that are in your heart? Mm. You know, um, what are the things that stir your passions? What are the things that get you out of bed in the morning? Um, And start there and see, all right, how how might God want to use this in his kingdom? I, I think for many, many older people, though they may steer away from that, might come easier than for this next generation. Because I find that a lot of our youth, and not all of them, it it, it varies. I'm not, I don't want to put, you know, say youth, and then you look at our youth kids and every single one of them is having this experience. Sure. But a lot of our youth don't give themselves enough quiet time mm. to really dig into who they are and what's what makes them them? How has God created them individually? How are they to be? Because they're so constantly surrounded by other people, other people's opinions, trying to keep themselves occupied, that there there isn't much time for reflection. Um, and I think that's something that even 20, 30 years ago, you're standing in the DMV line, all you have to do is time to reflect or start a conversation with a neighbor. Sure. Um, and now you, it's optional mm-hmm. to self-reflect. Yeah, that's something we've talked about in Digital Babylon, right? The pace of mm-hmm. life is so fast and constantly accelerating that we don't take time. It's hard to take time to pause and reflect and think. You know, I've got... Uh, a son who's a freshman in high school this year, and he's, you know, he's starting to think about those things. Like, what am I going to do with my life? And uh, what are the things I need to do now to help me get there? And sure. and while that's all great, I mean, you have to take time to do it. And you have yeah. to take time to have the conversations with people you love and trust and who love and trust, well, who you trust and who love you. Mm-hmm. So that way they can speak into the things they see in you. You know, um, 
there was a uh, but when we came back from Uganda, I ministry was the last thing on my mind because of where we were uh, emotionally and relationally and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I, I didn't think for a second we were going to be going right back into ministry, mm-hmm. and um, it took a mentor of mine coming to me and saying, I see these gifts in you and you can't just let them be laid aside. Shout out to Ron Smith. Shout out to Ron Smith. <laughs> I already knew it. <laughs> he, he's the one. Um, and so, but it took someone who knew me, yeah, who I trusted and who I trusted loved me enough to speak the truth into my life at a time when I wasn't even necessarily quite ready to hear it. And those are the things we need in our lives. We need to make the space. We need to have the conversations. We need the people in our lives who we trust love us, who can speak those things into us. Ron knew that you were going to run into some issues re-entering into ministry. Sure. It's not going to be a cakewalk and you're skipping through daisies <laughs> re-entering into ministry. But knowing how God created you and the gifts he provided and how um, for the kingdom it would be best for you to re-enter into ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's twofold of when you're receiving any advice Think of who it's coming from. Is it founded in scriptural truth um, and out of love for you? And when you're giving advice for the same thing, are you sharing biblical truth? And is it out of love or are there um, deep, selfish things uh, or, or things from your past, traumas or issues that you've had that are reflected in the advice that you give? Um, and I think that can drastically change our entire community um, if we're able to, A, reflect on ourselves, but then also pour into others um, what God has imparted on us. Sure. And, and that requires recognizing where we've been formed by the culture and where mm-hmm. the people around us have been formed by the culture. Because mm-hmm. like I shared yesterday, like most parents and Christian grandparents and parents they want the same things for their kids that the world does. You know, a, a good education, a good job, stability, rather than how might God want to use this child of mine or grandchild of mine for the sake of his kingdom. And so... You're right. Shout out to my mom. Shout out to your mom. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, because in, in Mexico... Uh, she started a whole sponsor children program and put such a heavy emphasis on education for kids that, uh, you know, the average kid, I think at the time when we started was leaving school probably by seventh, eighth grade. Um, and whenever we're in the village, uh, you know, I'm, because I'm very limited in my, uh, language skills, but I would, I would always ask like kids, like joke around with them, like, Oh, do you have a boyfriend yet or a girlfriend yet? Um, even though they might be like six, seven years old, whatever, just joking around. And my mom pulled me aside one time and was like, the questions you ask instill what they should see as most important. Mm. And so if you're asking that, then they're thinking that what's most important is getting a boyfriend and girlfriend later in life. And that's what leads to so many teenage pregnancies in the village. And so that's why she goes, how are you doing in school? 
you know, how are, how are your grades trying to keep them on that track and focus on there for education? But then also, are you going to Sunday school? I hear you're not going to youth group. Like why? And going to the parents, why haven't you been at church lately? And trying to ask the questions to point them in the, oh, this is what matters. That's why she's checking in on me. And that uh, age old question, um, how is your soul? Right. Yeah. How is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? And I think that's something that we don't normally start off our conversations with uh, and that maybe we should steer a little bit more towards in the future and make that. Yeah, I mean, that was a key part of of discipleship in the Wesleyan movement. They had these class meetings that would meet each week. And uh, the main focus of it was asking, how is it with your soul? Which, honestly, it sounds like a a little bit of a funny question to us these days. We don't really... Mm -hmm think in those terms. What's well, a more modernized version? Well, Kevin Watson, who um, he's a professor uh, down in Texas somewhere now, um, but he says uh, a, a better question for our modern culture would be, how's your life with God? Mm. How's your, I mean, we, back in the 90s, we were, how's your walk with God? But, but how's your life with God? How's the relationship with God? How are the things that you're learning in scripture, the things that God's saying to you in prayer, because the basic assumption is that as followers of Jesus, at a minimum, we're in scripture and we're praying. And that's a good starting point. But those things that we're hearing and we're learning, how are we applying that? How are we living that out? Where are we feeling challenged and checked and mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff? And so asking those questions, how's your life with God? How, what's he teaching you? What are you learning? Um, and none of us get beyond that. I was working on a Bible study for our Tuesday morning Bible study a few weeks ago. And we've been working our way through the book of Jude. And there in Jude, it's only one chapter long. We're taking six weeks to go through <laughs> 24 verses of Jude. Um, but in Jude uh, verse 3, it says that uh, Jude felt compelled to write to them, to urge them to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. And that's kind of been the the mantra of that Bible. So we've got to contend for the faith that was entrusted once and for all for the sa- to the saints. And so what does that look like? And, you know, when I think of contending, I want to put my fists up. And I want to hit somebody sometimes, especially when it comes to, you know, bad theology or um, things that are clearly not scriptural. You know, I'm ready to – I want to punch somebody in the nose sometimes. Uh, I won't name any names here on the podcast, but – I will. (laughs) (laughs) And then I opened John Wesley's notes on the New Testament in my preparation and and he quoted from the King James Version said, it was needful to exhort you to contend earnestly. And then Wesley added these words. He said, yet yeah, humbly, meekly, hmm. and lovingly. Otherwise, your contention will only hurt your cause, if not destroy your soul. So true. And And I felt so convicted in that moment that you know, I want to get up and fight, and I want to win, and I want to hit some people in the face. Spiritually. And, no, oh. not spiritually. <laughs> there are some people, 
I would love to just punch in the face. I'm not going to, but I'd love to. Because I don't want to let it ruin my witness. I don't want to let it destroy my soul. And if we give ourselves over to that fight in a in a carnal, fleshly kind of way, an unspiritual way, we're going to ruin it. And I mean, we we see that reflected in Psalm one thirty nine, where where you know David saying, like, shouldn't I hate those who hate you, Lord? Mm-hmm. He goes, because I hate them, right? <laughs> but then shortly after that, at the end of the chapter, it's says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, so even though we have these, I would say, like flesh urges mm-hmm. uh, to react in a certain way, to to take a pause and say, God, correct me if I'm, you know, not going about this in the right way. And we can find him correcting us many a times in scripture to to not go with our initial reaction yeah. for those things. And so having those contexts where we can have those conversations you know. is going to help us in this process of being transformed by God. It's not, you know, I just, when we talk about vocational discipleship and discipleship as work, it's not about working harder for Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's about joining God in the work he's already doing. And I think putting ourselves in a place, in a group where we can have these conversations, we can share these things, we can be um, kind of challenged on some things. That's where we join God in the work for our souls. Yeah. And I think that's a great practical way we can connect our faith and our work. Do you have any other recommendations of ways we can do so? Yeah, I I think there are some definite practical ways that we can connect our faith and our work. The Sunday school kind of answer is, you know, loving those around us. What's that mean, though? I mean, it's, it's, you know, we've got to work for the best, for the people who we're in relationship with in our work and, um, you know, honoring them and, and seeking their best. Um, but I think also, you know, given the context, there could be maybe a group of Christians you work with who you want to pull together each day and, and pray over the things that are going to happen in that day, um, being willing to um, voice your beliefs and convictions in the midst of some of the conversations that are going on can be a big thing. I think we're afraid to do it a lot of times because we don't want to be kind of, you know, relegated to the outside of the circle, but, um, you know, standing firm for what we actually believe in a kind, meek, humble, loving way, like Wesley says, you know, we've got to contend for the faith, even in our workplaces. Um, and then I think there are some 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 careers where it's just kind of natural to let the the love of God flow through us into those we're working with or serving. Um, you know, I think of like teachers and principals, um, doctors, nurses. You know, there's retail people. You know, how many times you know does a simple interaction with a retail worker make a difference in our day, whether it's a positive or a negative, right? And imagine if, you know, each person who came through our shop left feeling blessed because of the interaction they had with us at a cash register or something like that. 
And I think it's so, I think it's important to clarify the difference between being loving at work and with the people we're interacting with and being nice. Yes. Because you can fake kindness all day long. Um, but I think, especially with those that you interact with on a more regular basis, kindness and truly loving them, they can tell the difference. When I when I worked at McDonald's, a piece of advice that was given to me by one of the managers to avoid getting complaints or a write-up was if anyone ever makes you upset, be overly kind to them and you won't get in trouble. So if some, a customer's being really mean, you just say, you have the most wonderful day, ma'am. And what are they going to do? Complain. He told me to have a wonderful day. This guy was too nice to me and I knew he didn't mean it. <laughs> like you could right. you could do that. So you can put on a happy face and say the right phrase, but to see them through the eyes of God as his creation. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're called to um, see Christ in people. You know, when did you see me naked and not clothe me or no but but you're right it's not just tacking on a chick-fil-a my pleasure yeah you know to your interactions with people but it's it's genuinely loving them and valuing them for who they are where they are and the fact that they are a person of sacred worth and you're a person of sacred worth i'm not talking to scott i'm talking to the listener <laughs> we love you god's doing good things excited to be a part of it and he wants to use you in the world for the sake of his kingdom. No matter what your job is, no matter where you are, he wants to use you. And he wants to first invite you into that relationship with him so he can use you. So if you have any questions about that, if you say, hey, this is the job I have and I just don't see how I can make a difference for Jesus in that job. Shoot us an email. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Leave a comment. We'll we'll find it and we'll we'll get back to you and let you know how how we think Jesus could use you in the world for the sake of His kingdom. And as we depart, think about how your life with God is going. Start the conversation.